This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. There's never been a better time to come up with a bold idea, but how do you choose between the options? We'll talk about that on today's episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. And this is Armin Asadi. And we are here to bring you another episode to put your faith to work and your bold ideas to life. We're so glad you joined us today. We are taking a little break, Armin, from our lineup of guests. Ugh, finally. Uh, all these smart people making me feel dumb. <laughs> Sick of these people. <laughs> it has been a really a good ride of guests lately. I'm telling you, just so good. I don't like any of them. Yeah. <laughs> right, I know. I know. You know, I, I always find when we talk to our guests, it's like, I don't really want to hang up. I just want to say, can we go have dinner together? And just like, <laughs> yeah, know, we're ending the this... podcast or can we keep talking? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Can we go, can we go off the record and deeper into some of the stuff that we're talking about? But no, today we are going to um, just share a little bit between ourselves with some ideas that we have. And really we want to talk about uh, something that stirred an idea in me for a topic for Armin and I to banter back and was reading a book called The Inevitable, Understanding the 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future, written by Kevin Kelly. He's the co-founder of Wired Magazine. And in it, he talks about some of the different forces, well, he describes 12 of them, that uh, he believes is going to be shaping our future. And one of those is uh, filtering and filtering technology and the need for filtering and all the rest. And, you know, this is one of those books that if you're a techno nerd, a little bit like I am, and and maybe a little bit of a futurist, it's both um, enlightening and entertaining. And, you know, frankly, I mean, as I read it, I was, you know, it's a little bit frightening, you know, because it's like, he describes building the big brother machine, you know, yeah, the internet yeah. and everything that's going to like, he is a lot more Skynet. optimistic. Yeah. He's a lot more, exactly. He's a lot more optimistic <laughs> about nerds. our artificial intelligence <laughs> and all that than I think I am. I think I'm probably in Elon Musk's camp, you know, they're yeah. going to take over the world. <laughs> I don't, uh, it doesn't keep me up at night, but you know, at the same time, I have seen so much change yeah. in the last, you know, 40 years that it's just mind boggling. And I mean, I've seen so much. Change. <laughs> I haven't even been around forty years. I know this is this is the golden age of technology, and really, there has been a lot going on. Well, there's something in this chapter that I think unwinds for us, and we want to talk about it in today's show. You know, really, it really revolves around the fact that we are in an information explosion, and it's no surprise to everyone about the amount of information that's being put out there. Uh, even this podcast is contributing to that. And information... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it comes with our own little disclaimer. <laughs> I felt shamed. <laughs> there you go. Back on your shame kick. <laughs> so, as I was saying, information doubles about every 18 months. And, uh, of course, we just added more information with that little time lag there. But, um, you know, that's a 66% increase year over year. And that's known as Moore's Law. And, you know, to put this in some kind of perspective, if you were to take a look at the size of the World Wide Web as it exists today, 
it basically occupies what is now called a Yoda bite. And that's with two T's, <laughs> not a D. Ah, uh, there goes all my Star Wars references. <laughs> it just came piling into my head. I was like, oh, here we go. I knew exactly where you were going. I saw your eyes. Uh, the geek in me comes out once all right, in a while. So, so if you can imagine a one followed by 24 zeros, that's how many. That's a septillion. Okay. Whatever, I, I've never had to use the word septillion before. But you, you got it? Okay. So it's a Yoda bite. Jeez. And if you tried to download the web, if you could, if you tried to download the web from your computer, it would take approximately 11 trillion years. With a T. With a T. Hang on. Let's just take a three-minute break and let that settle in. <laughs> 11 trillion years. My gosh. Yeah. What are you planning to do 11 trillion years from now? <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, so... I remember, <laughs> I remember a number of years ago, the, there was a commercial from Comcast and a little pop-up screen came up and it says, you've now reached the end of the internet. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there is no, there's nothing more to see. <laughs> Great. Well, it'd take you 11 trillion years just to download it. And get this, according to a Wikipedia article that talks about the size of the internet, it would require... One billion, now think about this, one billion city block size data centers and would occupy as much of the states of Delaware and Rhode Island combined to house the internet. Just If you just wiped out those two states with nothing but data centers, crazy. that would be basically what it would take to, to the house. The beginning of the matrix. Now, and then imagine that doubling in 18 months. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's I got to stop making sci-fi movie references. I'm going to get banned. Oh, no, this is right. <laughs> but if that doesn't give you pause for maybe we need another three-minute break just to let that yeah, soak in. What the heck? <laughs> These stats are mind-boggling. They oh really are. They really are. And we haven't of... even really even tapped into AI at all in any way, shape, or form, hardly. Now, if that doesn't hit home to you in just terms of thinking about all the stuff that's been created, all the different channels that you have on TV that you can watch, all the different uh, music streams that you could listen to, um, all the different movies that you can engage in, all the different websites that you could visit, all the different news feeds that you could get, all the different books that you could possibly read, all the different magazine. I mean, just go on and on and on and on and on. Totally. The challenge here right army is this creates this avalanche of options yeah i mean endless endless options new things are going to get created all the time and are being created all the time uh we have more career choices now than we've ever had and people still struggle to get jobs and people still struggle well not in our economy right now is doing pretty well but still there's a lot of confusion about what the right job is when you have so many options yeah and there's new ways to spend your time there's new things to invent New things to rearrange, new things to reimagine, uh, new things even to evaluate. Yeah, that's what I need in my life, more things to evaluate. Right. Well, <laughs> this is one of the things that uh, Kevin Kelly says, and he writes in his book, he says, you know, I get this, it would take a year's worth of attention to merely preview, just to preview all the new things that have been invented or created in the previous 24 hours. Shut up. So just to say, hey, I want to see what mankind created yesterday. It would take me a year just to review, not, not even to experience it, but just to evaluate it or see it or preview what has been created in the last 24 hours. Like a Facebook post of what was created yesterday. Yeah. Just to, uh, just to uh, put that, that together. Level, yeah, that, put that together would take you a, a year. To see what was created in the last 24 hours. And by the time you're done, you're a year out of date. Well, 364 days out of date. <laughs> 
My gosh. <laughs> How do you... Never mind. So many questions right now that are just popping into my head and that make my brain hurt, but I won't ask them. We can keep so talking. So the obvious implication here too, I mean, you think about this for a second. If people say, you know, I, I don't know what idea to have or I don't know. I mean, there's a gazillion that you could have. Yeah, it's not a real number, but it should be at this point. Well, <laughs> what, what was the number? Yoda? Septillion. <laughs> 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 the point is, is that really the combinations are endless with respect to a bold idea that you could come up with. Let me just put it. The, uh, or dumb idea. Or dumb idea. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, maybe bold would limit it a little bit. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, with so many options to choose from, you know, what do you do? Create more options. Ooh, you create more, <laughs> create more options. Sorry, I'm adding like, no value to this. Like I'm the, sorry. I'm kind of like the student that keeps going back to school because he doesn't know what else to do. I'm yeah, just exactly. Gonna, I'm, 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 a, I'm an eighth year senior. <laughs> yeah. I don't, or I need my 17th PhD because exactly, <laughs> I'm not educated what, enough. Right, exactly. <laughs> so what we end up doing, and Kevin Kelly has a list of what he calls filters that we tend to go through. Now, these are fairly obvious, but I don't know that we actually think about them very often. In fact, I, I know in, until he articulated the list of filters, I didn't give it much thought. You know, hmm. it's just we naturally filter things. So, for instance, the first one he mentions is gatekeepers. When we have certain authorities in our lives who act as filters for us. For instance, uh, you know, at, at the most grounded level are our parents. You know, when we're growing up, they allowed certain things in our homes. They didn't allow certain things. They allowed certain behaviors that were right and some that weren't. They allowed us to to experience some experiences and not experience others. We went to certain places on vacation and not others. So they filtered. They did the decision-making and filtering about what the experiences we would have as a family. Right. Same thing with your teachers in terms of the, the way in which information is presented to you and what information is presented, on and on and on. So there are authority figures in our lives that act as gatekeepers. Right. There are also then intermediaries, and we get these all the time. They're helpful to us because they keep, basically stuff that's worthless, not entirely, but they keep worthless stuff from us, like publishers. Oh, like prevent. Yeah, okay, right, okay, right, right, okay. right. I mean, there's a lot of... <laughs> I knew you were about to say publishers, and then you, just, you were talking about worthless stuff, so I didn't know you were going to say they provide a lot of worthless stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, th there are some that do, and then there are a vast majority that their purpose is to actually find the best so that their product can be sold, obviously, because they want to have a high quality product. So they're publishers and editors. And basically, you know, every headline you read has been um, filtered in some way, uh, is really a filter of the information that follows it. A curator is another form of filter. And, and this is a part that I didn't really think about it, but, you know, retailers are a filter because, you know, they only present certain products. Oh, they, totally. they don't make everything available yeah. uh, unless you're Amazon, then pretty much you can get anything there. Uh, but, but even Amazon filters things as well. And, uh, you know, museums and all the rest you expect from a curation. Brands are a form of filter because we have a preference for a brand and, and they uh, limit what they offer. Um, and uh, a government allows for certain things to occur, doesn't allow other things to occur. There are certain rules that we live in as a society. Culture is a soft filter. You know, certain things are allowed within your culture. Would religion be considered a brand or a culture? I think it would be considered a probably a culture. Because it has like, a brand? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, friends, what your friends 
do, what's acceptable to your friends, what they uh, tell you about, what uh, is the latest thing. In fact, I read in a large part based on filters. So people recommend books to me. This is one of the books, in fact, that I was in a trip to Austin, Texas. I met a new friend down there for the first time. We got acquainted, really enjoyed each other. He says, you know, you might enjoy reading this book. So the beauty of it, I got onto Amazon right then, bought it. It was home by the time I got home and, and started reading and enjoying it. So when you meet people that are of similar ilk to you or you share a common passion, they often act as a filter for you as well. Now, the one filter that Kevin Kelly talks about that he says is the one that we rely upon the least is ourselves. And, uh, and we do that, but we rely upon it the least because we don't really understand what it is that we want. So we are so heavily dependent on other people, people's filters that we don't often think about that ourselves. Now, the obvious problem, Armin, and you've seen this, right? The obvious problem that this creates is that we get into a filter bubble. We listen to music that's similar to what we want. We, we buy products that are similar to what we've had before. We get news feeds that are similar to what we've wanted before. And the problem is, is that what that does is it keeps us within a certain zone. It keeps us within our comfort zone because these are things that we're used to. You know, what's funny is Netflix does that to me. And uh, every time I get a movie or something like that or a show because, you know, at nights I can't sleep. So the only thing I want to do is just shut my brain off. And it'll recommend a movie and I'll automatically watch it because it's a recommendation of a movie that I'll like. And then if it is if it is a movie I don't like, I am so disappointed and upset. How dare you give me something I don't like and recommend? I actually get frustrated and I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, why I, am I frustrated? I want a movie exactly like the one I just saw. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, and, I don't, and I don't want to watch that one yeah, again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, my experience is a little different Sheep because my, my kids use my Netflix account and so I get their recommend, you know, based on what you recently watched. What? I didn't watch that. <laughs> what is this crap? Sorry. I don't, I don't think I'm, I want to watch a zombie movie. No, thanks. <laughs> well, those are sometimes good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you and I talked about getting outside of the comfort zone back in episode 47. So that's a really good episode, I think, to listen to if you want to see how the filter bubble kind of keeps you in inside the nest and get some ideas on on how you get outside of that. But the, the thing we want to focus on today is what happens with all this information that we have coming at us and all these recommendations that we get coming at us, which are another piece of information that we have yet coming to us, is that what ends up happening is that the thing that we most need becomes the thing that we least have, and that is our own attention. And uh, Herbert Simon was a Nobel Prize winning scientist. And listen, back in 1971, he wrote this. Now, get this. Back in 1971, this is the beginning of the information age. It isn't even anywhere near where we are today. This is pre-internet. And he says, in an information-rich world, the wealth of information means a dearth of something else, a scarcity of whatever is that information consumes. What information consumes is rather obvious. It consumes the attention of its recipients. Hence, a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. Yeah, so think about that. The more information we have, the more it demands our attention and creates inside of us the very inability to deliver the thing that we need the most, especially when it comes to our bold idea. He wrote that in 71. In 71. I, there was nothing but books. I know. And TV. No, that's, this is all pre-internet. That's insanity. 
if is that guy around today? What does he say know. about today? Yeah, I don't know. He's, I don't know if he still is. He's, his mind blew and he's dead. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> too much information. Sorry, my, my mind is my brain is full. Can I be excused? Do you remember that That's right. that Farsight cartoon, Mister Osborne? Might be the only excused. reason I know it is because of you. Yeah. <laughs> You said earlier, where attention flows, money will follow. And you were referencing this guy. And I was trying to wrap my brain around how that works or what he meant by that. And I I haven't logically been able to process that. Yeah, so that's something that uh, Kevin Kelly says in his book as an implication of this, is that when, when scarcity of attention is created because we've got so much information then in order for you to engage with me in any way, I need to get your attention because that's the scarce thing. You're spending it on so many things. I need to drive attention to you. I need to grab your attention. Sure. So money is going to follow whatever it is that creates that attention. Okay. That's why advertisers go to Facebook or advertisers are going to where the eyeballs are at uh, because they want to try to... views on YouTube are so important. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Correct. So the more you can grab attention, the more likely money is going to be found there. And conversely, you know, if you're looking for a bold idea that makes a lot of money, find a way to grab somebody's attention. Hmm especially if you can keep it for a long time because that's where marketers will market their products and, and, and services and goods and all the rest. But what it tells you is something a little bit about our human condition. And this is the thing that I, I found myself thinking about as I was reading this book is we as Christians live in a culture and an environment where we are surrounded by technology that enables the free flow and sharing of information. Hmm. And not only the free flow and sharing of that information, but also the ability to produce it in in hyperdrive, as it was like we we're saying, the amount of information that's out there and the amount that is, you know, doubling every 18 months is phenomenal. And that then means that it has implications on how we think as Christians. Do we become people who are just like amoebas, you know, the stimulus and response to the environment that we have because there's all these attention-getting mechanisms that are vying for our attention? Or do we determine what it is that the still small voice God has designed for us? And how do we build a strategy for identifying what it is that God wants us to do as we create our bold idea in the midst of being in a culture where there's no better time to create a bold idea than we have today. There's no better time to create an arrangement of that. And at the same time, do that in a way that isn't subject to somebody else's attention-getting scheme. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for me after having this conversation is that, sure, there's never a better time for a bold idea, but it sounds like there's going to be way too many of them. <laughs> well, well, that's just it. <laughs> There's not, that's, that's one of the, uh, that's one of the downstrokes here. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of implications here. First is for a bold idea, there's never been a better time because there's more options and more combinations and more unique ways to do it. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that every idea is in fact a good bold idea. Oh yeah. People would know that if they ever entered my brain, most (laughs) might Most of my ideas are absolutely <laughs> trash, <laughs> but I, I think they're great. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah, that's part of the part of the filtering process. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. 
Well, I mean, let's take a moment and give thanks where thanks are due. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody that's out there supporting this podcast so that it can exist. Thank you because it would not exist without you. Oh, that is so true because this is a nonprofit endeavor. We don't make any income from it. Very nonprofit. <laughs> In fact, we we uh, provide support to it. So we're so appreciative of your joining with us through your tax deductible contribution to make this show possible. And if you do want to support and keep this bad boy going, then just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. Well, the second implication, I think, is that we have, maybe some of us have this idea, and I know I have carried it for a long, long time. And I don't know that I would have articulated it quite this way, but the best way I can articulate it is to say that a perfect fit is an unachievable goal. In other words, I'm looking for the perfect fit for me. You know, yeah. looking for that option that's going to wire it and this is it. That's the home run. This is the thing. Yeah. It's kind of like all my friends that are single well into their thirties because they're still looking for that perfect girl. Sorry, buddy. A great example. That, that, that's that's going to stay single for a while. <laughs> that's a perfect example. Yes. Yeah. Well, girl or guy. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter it on the both gender. Sides yeah. that, that, that there is this standard where you're saying, I want them in their fully baked condition. Yeah. Never mind that I'm not fully baked. Yeah, that's what I want to tell them. You're like, yeah, you know, you're not perfect. So <laughs> you're not going to find perfect since perfect does not exist. <laughs> but you keep waiting. I'm sure it'll happen. It's, and it's a great example. <laughs> Take that now apply it to an idea because in some ways that we're doing the same thing. We're not willing to let an idea grow up with us, mm. even when we know the idea will grow us too. Yeah. And, uh, and so we want that perfect idea to come along before we put any time in on it. And we kind of wait, 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 wait for a perfect idea. And the problem is, is that you will always be evaluating new options. And as we talked about earlier, you can't possibly evaluate all the options that are out there. <laughs> Impossible. So yeah. it's it's like this. Unless you have 11 trillion years. It's like that scene from the movie Poltergeist, the original movie where, <laughs> did you see that movie? Yes, yes unfortunately. Where she's running nightmares. Down, the door, down the hallway to reach her kids. And like the faster she runs, the further, further away, away the door gets. gets. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of like this. You yeah. know, it's the more we chase these options, the further away they get because they're keep multiplying. Thanks for the nightmare I'm going to have tonight, go. by the way. You got really it. appreciate it. Well, it's the season. <laughs> I, hate, I hate horror movies so much. <laughs> I guess by the time this is published, we're in the Christmas season. But, you know, <laughs> hey, whatever. Um, so, but the th thing is, is there's always going to be new options. And so you, can, you, so you can't optimize that. So finding a perfect fit is an unachievable goal. And the fact of the matter is, when you pursue an option anyway, you're going to change. And the thing that you thought was a perfect option probably isn't likely to be the perfect fit for you anyway. And it'll be a perfect disappointment. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. At the end of the day, and even with your friends that you, you know you talked about that are you know putting off their marriage choices because they're looking for the perfect fit, you know, at the end of the day, it's an excuse to not make a decision. Oh, totally. There's a fear factor. And totally. uh, uh, it's like a fear of missing out or it's a uh, fear I made the wrong decision or fear of something else. And it's like, look, man, it, that, that that perfection will not exist. And no matter how hard you try to justify that at the end of the day, you're going to have to work for the relationship that you get into. It's going to require a lot from you. It's not just going to be a perfect fit and everything's going to be kumbaya. Sorry. Well, this might be in a different episode altogether, but maybe it's not so much a fear of missing out, but it's a fear of not being able to adapt. Adapt to what? To the other party. Oh, sure. Because they're perfect. Well, or they're, <laughs> or they're not. 
uh, or they, they may not be able to adapt to you. Um, you know, it's it's this idea that maybe we we need get better together. You know, right? You need someone perfect to handle your imperfection. Correct. I hear you. Well, anyway, the perfect fit's not an achievable goal. That's going to just stretch out there and be unreachable. But the right fit is possible. And the right fit is kind of time dependent. It's where you're at in the moment. And it requires, though, self-awareness. And this is the key, I think, to discovering your bold idea and really to ferret through a number of different options that you might be considering. Because all these things that you could do in terms of pursuing an idea in your life, and you might be trying to ferret through a number of different things. How do I spend my time? It requires self-awareness. And that means that we need to get into some of the inner life disciplines. The first one, obviously, is prayer, right? It's like, do you spend any time in prayer? This has been an area in my life that I've really struggled with, to be honest. I'm much better at reading the word than I am at just stopping and saying, okay, God, what is it that you're leading and guiding me in and just seeing that he is the guide, he's the coworker. In fact, he knows me better than I know myself, But my prayer life up until more or less recently has been more reactive than proactive. Like 99% of the world's population. Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) But you know, I pray, I pray when I get into trouble and then, and then I wonder if maybe the part of the reason I got into trouble is because I didn't pray before I made a decision. Oh, totally. We've talked about this a million times, but we're, we're still going to keep doing it. And so the need for that prayer time, I think is just really vital and that's not to create a religiosity here. It's to tie into the fact that if you want to know how you're wired, you got to spend time with the one who wired you. Mm. And it's just that simple. Yeah. And then secondly is this idea of just getting some time in solitude and reflection. And again, for me, if it weren't for my daily habit of journaling, I don't know that I would do this because I'm an extreme extrovert. And the idea of spending time alone is like one of those things I don't know what to do with myself. And I don't think I particularly enjoy myself that much anyway. And, uh, and so it's one of those things where, you know, this idea of getting time alone for reflection, you got to, and I do, I've got to see how what has happened in the day, see how my pursuits are affecting me. And the only way to do that is to, is to spend some time in solitude and, and reflection. Solitude sounds like isolation and pain. Does sound like that. Yeah. <laughs> Solitary confinement. Yeah. Here's your stray jackets. Good luck. But it does, It you know, I think you do get some different de-stressors. You know, for instance, when you just go out on a walk or you go, you know, to a, a, an environment that's like in the woods or on a beach or, you know, wherever you can go, where you can just spend some time and not have something you have to put your attention to is really important. Yeah. Dr. Caroline Leaf, she said something along the lines of that we, our conscious mind makes up about 30% of our mind and our subconscious mind makes up approximately 60 to 70% of it. She said, we don't access the vast majority and the most powerful parts of our brain because it is the subconscious part of it. And the only way we can access the subconscious part of our brain or the most powerful part of our brain is by actually doing nothing and focusing on something, uh, whether you want to call it prayer, meditation, whatever you want to call it. But she says, until you sit there for 15 minutes and focus and meditate on a singular thing without thinking about anything else, you will never access the most powerful part of your brain. And she's basically going on this rant about how 
the more information that we get, the more technology that we have, the faster that we can look things up, the less and less we're using that big part of our brain. And so the less and less powerful we're becoming because we're not accessing the thing that actually sets us apart. Yeah. That deep thinking is a discipline that more and more is going to be something that is going to set apart those who are able to seize upon their bold ideas and those that are just kind of surviving the the things that are thrown at them day to day. So yeah. absolutely right. Um, the other thing is that um, not only do we need these inner life disciplines, like we were just talking about, but the ability to observe and the observe, you know, that's part of that comes from a little bit of the inner life disciplines, but it's also just the ability to track and measure and monitor what it is that you are experiencing. So what is your energy like as you're pursuing your idea? I do this through journaling I, every day. I'm able to kind of keep tabs on something that I'm energized about or things that I'm just discouraged about or and, and it helps me to understand a little bit more about myself so that I can determine what is a good fit for me. And then of course we've talked about this in the other episode uh, on comfort zone, but experimentation, finding new things to try, new roles that you might put on, new people that you can uh, visit with, new environments to be a part of. Don't filter through the likes and the Spotify recommendations and the the Netflix things go off board, you know, try some new things and, and see what uh, experiences that you might get there and find out how those fit you. And we have many more uh, thoughts for you on that episode 47 on getting outside your comfort zone. This experimentation thing, other than the fact that it made me think of drugs, the thing I, I realized <laughs> is that the conversations I'm in vast majority of time right now, especially on a social level, is that, that I mean, I'm a millennial, so obviously diversity is going to come up in every way, shape, or form because I'm the brown guy in the conversation in a predominantly white, Christian, evangelical suburban context, right? So uh, I'm the dark guy. And so diversity comes up all the time because people think I live and breathe diversity because I have nothing better to do with my time, right? <laughs> um, and I appreciate them I like because they're trying to be sensitive. But one of the things I realized, no one can truly have a diversity conversation until you start it out on the most basic level possible. Diversify something. If it's not culture, if it's not people, if it's not race, if it's not religion, diversify something, right? Like mm -hmm. diversify your food. Mm -hmm. Diversify the music you listen to if you only listen to country music you don't have a whole lot of, like or or hip-hop or whatever if you listen to only one genre of music you know it's your your i don't know your understanding of culture and people is so limited and it's like i feel like i'm in the diversity conversation all the time but it feels like we don't want to diversify much uh even on the basic levels like food you know, but, yeah, that's but, good. but we think we can engage it on the most complex issues possible, like religion and politics and race and ethnicity. <laughs> like, come on, are you kidding me? Try Mexican food first, and then let's talk about <laughs> diversity on a cultural level. That's you know? good. Sorry, good. We, want, we want cultural diversity. We're not willing to move off of cheeseburgers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, man. All right, rant over. No, no, that was actually, I enjoyed that. I love it when you get on your little rant there, especially when it has something as, uh, as, as profound as that, because you are right. We're, we're, we rail against the big things and we're not willing to make the little change in our life. Now, let's just to be clear, it's not to say that preferences are bad. I mean, we all need to live within a certain zone. We all need to live within the things that we have as a preference. Otherwise, we can't exist. You can't yeah. possibly 
In fact, you can't evaluate all the options. You can't live out all the options. But the point is, is, is are those options narrowing you so much that, well, not options, I shouldn't say that. Are, is the environment and preferences that you have narrowing you so much that you're not able to learn anything about yourself because you're not stretching out into new, new territories? Well, we hope that you're the type of person, in fact, if you're listening to this podcast where we suspect that you are, that having an idea or having an option is not the problem. The problem is that you may have too many. And so we want to leave with some questions uh, just in context of all that we've talked about here that you might ask yourself when considering the options you have in front of you so that you can determine how to narrow those options for yourself. Now, these are, this isn't the end-all list of options. In fact, it's better for you just to start with this and come up with your own because, frankly, the best questions are going to be the ones you ask of yourself. But here's, here's some to ask for yourself. One, am I relying on the opinions or advice of others about what option is best? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> I know that was rhetorical, but it's not an answer. Well, it may, it may not be a bad first start answer. Is maybe the, it should be made as a statement. Prove to yourself that you're not relying on the opinions or advice of mm-hmm. others as to what option is the best. I'm going to disappoint myself. <laughs> as Kevin Kelly said, the option we least likely rely upon is the one of, uh, of uh, the filter is ourselves. Yep. So. Uh, that's yeah, really a good. That's a really good anchor test question. Second, do I know why I think the option is best for me right now? I'm weighing it out. <laughs> All I'm thinking about is how, what would I answer to these questions. I'm clearly not trying to add value here. Uh, these are good questions because they actually make you think and dive into this conversation. Well, this is the start with why question. So if you don't know why you're doing something, then you won't have the motivation to continue on it when it gets bad. Hmm. Because we always choose an option with the expectation that it's going to be really, Every, really good. Yeah, rosy. Yes. And if you don't know why you're doing it, once you get into it and it doesn't hold up to that initial optimism, yeah. you won't have the sustenance or the the grit to continue on with it. Third, what's the shelf life of the fit for this option for me? Now, we don't often think about this, but we tend to think when we make decisions about things that this is like, this is going to be like a forever thing. And it's a, li- a little bit like the marriage question. You know, it's like every option becomes like a marriage. I'm going to stay to it as opposed to saying, you know what, I'm going to try this. And this is something I'm going to try for six months. If it doesn't work out, then I'm going to let it go. We don't often put expiration dates on th- things that we try out. And I think we really should. I think my problem is, and I would say other millennials would agree, the fact that we put very short expiration dates there is a shelf life it's just unnecessarily short no, is it, so it's measured in microseconds <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. because you're like well that that didn't go absolutely perfect and didn't go from zero to ten in two days i can't do this anymore right? and then you kind of okay so that question <laughs> might be good then to to take the other way if you tend to make very short-term commitments and you're not looking at longer terms one then say what option would cause me to stay engaged the longest period of time yeah that sort of thing Third, what are the reasons I might resist or might be resisting a decision? And what does that resistance tell me about myself? And is that acceptable? I mean, is the answer for why I'm putting this decision off? You mentioned the marriage example before, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm imagining one of your friends, you know, honestly evaluating the reason they're not 
you know, <laughs> yeah. doing what they're doing. And, and then to ask the question, well, is that acceptable to me? Yeah. Is it acceptable that I am resisting it in that way? That's a painful question. It is a painful and question. And I refuse to ask it. <laughs> yeah. These are all questions that uh, you, you're you going to hit a brick wall with because you might maybe not want to answer them. <laughs> but, uh, but they are, I think, revealing. And then finally, is there an option that I might regret if I don't take it? And that question has been most helpful to me over the years where I've evaluated whether, you know, to go into business or to uh, uh, do a number of different things. I fast forward and say, you know, in a year from now, would I have regretted not taking that option? Would I have regretted not to pursuing that path? And if the answer is, you know, I would regret it, then I start to evaluate the strength of that based on that, uh, that regret. That question is so key for me. It's ridiculous. One of the things I've learned in the past is the power of no. Just being able to say no to things, no matter how pretty or shiny or whatever they look. It's hard for me to sometimes say no, especially when it's church related, nonprofit related, whatever, right? You you just, you want to give and help and blah, blah, blah. So you're just kind of saying yes to these things because you kind of feel like, "Ah, I'd feel a little guilty if I didn't, such a good cause. But- when I learned this question of, is there an option I might regret not doing? Woo, that changed the game. Because as soon as I ask that question, I look at an option and think, if I didn't do that, would I regret it? Nope. And that becomes my answer. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> it makes life so much easier just to have a way to be able to say no if you struggle with saying yes to everything. If you struggle with saying yes to everything, it's a good way to say no. Yeah. Just say, you know what? If I never did that, no, it wouldn't bother me. Yeah, even if it's saying no to yourself. Yeah. Ooh, there we go. Because <laughs> all your ideas. <laughs> and yet another episode unfolds. <laughs> well, those are the questions we have for you about how to choose among the many options you might have based on all the stuff that's coming at you and all the attention that is being sought out. You may have some of your own. We'd love to have you let us know what they are. Find our episode show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash eight two. And leave us your question there, a question that you would ask about how to evaluate your option. We'd love to know what that is. And of course, leave a comment for us there at the show or call our show line at 612-568-IDEA. That's 612-568-4332. So that's it for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We love to hear from you. And until next time, this is Larry Gates. And Armina Sadi. Saying so long. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.